0: Our scripture reading for today is Exodus 32, 15 through 20. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's noise of war in the camp. But Moses said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: Thank you, Sarah. I took that opportunity to take a sip of water um, and started choking. So I'm going to leave this here. sound of this generation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure one day people look back and they're like, they drank out of water, like metal water bottles. Can you believe what they used to do? But anyway, well again, um, good good morning, and um, um, we're going to get into our time here together in in God's Word. This is our second to last um, Sunday together in Exodus, and so we're covering this morning we're in Exodus chapters thirty-two and thirty-four, and are through thirty-four. So go ahead and turn with me there in your Bibles. And um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, um, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up? And somebody will get, hit you one. All right. And we want to make sure that everyone has one to follow along with and read and um, track. So again, hold your hand up, keep it up. Y en español si quiere la Biblia y no tiene and uh, um, this one is titled kind of The Rebellion. And, and as we just read, there are some, some crazy things happen. And if you've been with us throughout the whole narrative of Exodus... Um, this is a significant piece because it, it's again as we're toward the end of it we see some tragedy even happening. and so what is, what does God do to that? what does God how does he interact with his people in those in those things? So what we're going to see kind of the big idea is that Israel fails to be faithful, but God remembers his plan and his promises to make himself known by judging sin and by saving his people. And so as you see there, we have a kind of, some, you know, handles for you, if you will, to kind of walk through, and this is how we're gonna look at it. And it's not as big of a section as we have been walking through, but still some significant heavy stuff. And I'll just say on the front end, we're not gonna cover all of it, okay? There's a lot, in like, what? And I've even been asked, "This you didn't talk about toiling a, like a goat in its mother's milk, like what, what, you know? Um, I. There's important information about that, but we're not going to dive into that. Okay? There's, again, the big idea is Israel's failure to remain faithful. God remembering his plans and his promises to judge sin and save his people. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and give into our time and word. Heavenly Father, we come before you um, as your people. We're dependent on your spirit, always. And... Um, even as we dive in and we look at Israel's well intended desire to be faithful and yet their failure. Well, Lord, I pray that as we walk through this time together, we will see more clearly who you are, your good news, your mercy, your justice. Lord, that we will be transformed. Not only informed, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, that that will show up in everyday life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so let's just read, picking up here in chapter um, 32 of Exodus, verses 1 through 4. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. And they said to him, Up, which is not a good way to start a conversation, right? up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, And they said, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What happened? If you've been following along throughout um, throughout Exodus, we've seen this theme. We've seen God revealing himself, right? Making himself known. The plan from the very beginning and and kind of the big idea throughout Exodus has been that, that, that God is making himself known in a world and even to his own people where he's been so greatly forgotten. So God's making himself known. And and then the people though right here. Have already forgotten him. It started. Exodus started with the people didn't know God. It had been 400 years. And they had forgotten him. And then now here we are after all these things. God has revealed himself. His power. His might. His care. And the people have forgotten. And even not long before this. They made some bold um, like declarations. Right? I, I, I'm sure something comes to mind for you. Maybe. At a, at a youth group, at a in, in school, and life, it could be with regard to your faith, or it could n- not be. For me, one thing that comes to mind—I won't go too into it—but when I was a sophomore in high school, I lived in Arkansas, I was involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and um, I could share more about my whole family backstory and alcoholism and drug use and all these things. Well, I was in Arkansas, and there's kind of a, a, a church culture there, Christian culture, that's at least for me, was easier to navigate. It was easier to be a Christian. There's a lot of downfall and negative with that. It's also easier to pretend you're a Christian. But I made this declaration, and I remember specifically seeing all my friends partying, drinking, getting in trouble, whatever, and just being like, I'll never do that. Like, I know I won't. I know I'm there. I've am i seen it in my family. I've seen all the scenes. There's no way. And I would have bet everything on Well, less than a year later, I move out here to the desert. You know, I move out here to Arizona, to Tucson. I'm a new guy in school. All the few Christians I knew weren't very cool. And I least thought I was cool. So, you know, and like, was like, man, it's hard to make friends here. And the ones that are, that share my faith, we don't really connect on a lot of things. And then the ones that I do really connect with, they don't share my faith and all this. Well, fast forward. Um, driving down from Mount Lemon after a couple months of this cycle of bold declaration, they would happen on a Sunday after I had drunk and partying throughout the weekend and then and then on Sunday I would have like a five hour time in the Word, I'd pray to God and declare to him, I I promise to be faithful, this is it. And then next, you know, Friday would come around and we'll driving down Mount Lemmon, having gotten in trouble by the police, got caught smoking weed and drinking, and it was just like, that was kind of like, God's like, how's your faithfulness holding up? How are your promises to me? How are they going? You know, how are you doing with those bold declarations? And that's kind of a picture, like what we see here with Israel. I, they were well intended. It's easy for us to look back and be like, oh, so flippant and fickle, and they're all over the place, but this serves, in many ways, as God's Word always does, it's like a mirror. And when we look at Israel, and Egypt, by the way, at times throughout the book, we see ourselves. And we see here, there's been this sense of them failing. Sometimes we need to call it that. It's a good thing even to recognize our failure. We see God's faithfulness often when it's juxtaposed or it overshadows and reveals our faithlessness God is faithful as we understand our failure apart from his intervention amen and that's what we see here with, with, these, with these Israelites and God gets really mad alright he's angry and again not, I can't walk through the whole narrative but he basically tells Moses I'm going to smite these people I'm going to wipe them out I'm done with them I'm over. They keep forgetting. They keep forgetting. I have revealed myself. I've, I've shown myself. I've dealt with all their, their slavery. I've showed my power over Egypt and all their false gods. And yet here they are, a little golden calf they just made. They're like, oh, and even right earlier when they said, where is this Moses who brought us up out of Egypt? Like If you, again, have been here for the story, Moses didn't bring him out of Egypt. God did so he's angry, and in a sense, if, for those of us who are parents, or hopefully had good parents, but some of us didn't, right? But those, there's a sense of righteous anger, right? Often we, I, as a parent, can sometimes not act fully righteously, even if what I'm angry about is righteous, is justified. Sometimes I don't do it, but here we see in God a righteous anger, he knows, right, he said from all along that his plan has been to reveal who he is and he cares for his people, that God, as we sing about God's glory, as we sing about these things, revealing, like, worshiping God and recognizing his glory is because that's the best thing for us. Okay, let me let me just emphasize that. Sometimes we think we're coming to church, we're giving God all these things, all these offerings, oh God. Like, hear me, even this, like, worship Our time of singing a prayer is a gift from God to us that we get to participate in. We get to recognize him for who he is, for who he's revealed himself to be. It's a gift from God. He cares about us. He cares about his glory because he is glorious and true. And he cares about his people seeing and experiencing what is good and true and right and beautiful and what we see here throughout this whole time and what we see here is part of God's anger is that he recognizes it's so bad for his people to be putting their faith and hope in something else. Like, again, from our perspective, we can look at and be like a golden calf. Really? Like when you're faced with the next army you're about to be faced with, this next nation you're going to come. How's this thing going to help you? Right? But let's again look in the mirror a little bit and recognize what we have ultimately here is a false God that we can control, right? They make it. And, and as has been said, this phrase, false gods never fail to fail, all right? They always fail to fulfill and satisfy and protect and be with and be worthy of worship. And God cares about that. And just again, think in our own lives, what are things that we control like them? And we'll see this in a bit here when mm, 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 Moses this. Steps in and and kind of deals with them, you know, harshly. But like, think of the things again. False gods are something we can control. Something that we orient. Sometimes even good things, right? Like family, relationships, different stuff. But we orient our lives around it. What might that be? Food. Exercise. Lack of exercise. Indulgence. Sex. Power. Business practices. Whatever it might be, things that we've grown so accustomed to, that we hold on to, that we say, this will, this will satisfy me, this will meet my needs, I can trust in this, this will, this will give me the life that I'm hoping for, That I, this will give me the good life. And again, the message here is that God is angry because He knows, He cares about His people and He knows what's best for them, is to recognize that false gods never fail to fail. And He's angry God is rightly mad, but why doesn't he just wipe them out? Why does he just send a lightning bolt or whatever it is, right? Why does he just kind of do what he had said he would do? I'm I'm done with this, people. Boom. I'm going after them. Look with me now in verse 11, chapter 32. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Right? So that we know the answer to that, right? Because God cares. God is just. And he's good. But then he goes on here. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, or with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it. Remember your promises, God. Remember your plans that you declared. And in verse fourteen, the Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing, or had spoken of bringing on His people. So, see, M- Moses appeals to God, and we can think of even one guy said, "Like, we it looks like here M- Moses is like the nice parent protecting the kids from the mean parent, right?" But we're, really, as you flesh it out, Moses is appealing to God about God. God, you'll be misunderstood. God, you have already made yourself known. You've made promises. You've declared your plan. And that's going to be misunderstood. If you follow through with what he just said you would do to these people. And again, as I said, the question throughout the whole this whole series has been, who is God, right? Israel had forgotten God. It had been 400 years. Pharaoh. Right. The seemingly most powerful person in the whole world when Moses stood before him and said, right, God says, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? Who's God? Eh, I don't know. him. Who, what, I don't know. him. I'm not going to listen to him. I don't really want to know. him. I don't think he's worth knowing. No, stay. In fact, I'm going to make life harder on you. I'm not only going to not listen to that, you know, you're God who I don't even know and haven't ever heard of. But I'm going to actually show that I'm actually the one in power and authority. And I'm going to ramp some things up. I'm going to make life harder for you. In so doing, he's actually saying, like, I'm actually God. And right throughout the whole time, what has God been doing? God has been making himself known. In a place where he's been so greatly forgotten, and the question, even coming up here, has been throughout: What will God do, though, with injustice? Who is this God, and what does He do with sin? What does He do with wrongdoing? What does He do when stuff doesn't? When He's not obeyed? When He's not recognized and revered and worshipped as He ought to be? What, what does He do with that? What What happens? And then a question that even pops up, even as we see this, and what? Moses is concerned. Egypt will think and all the other nations will think, Well is God weak? Or is he a little, a little higher? Does he just kind of flippantly make promises and then not intend to keep them, or is he like the Greek gods, right? That will like are similar enough where they're kind of very selfish and they, you know, party one night and get drunk and go down and, you know, sleep with someone in the form of a cow, and that's Zeus, by the way. And he sings and like, uh, you know, and do all. Is he flippant? Is he good, or is he weak? Is he kind of Santa Claus figure? Like, man, I I really wanted my people to just stay with me, but uh, I guess it's not going to work. Well, man, oh well. You know, I I want what's best for my people, but I I can't really do much for them. That's the question. I think that's a question we're all asking as well. Right? We've talked about this often. I think it's most clear on Easter. We, We look at the cross and we consider. I think we're all asking the question always... God, are you good? Do you care? And are you powerful? Can you do anything about it? God, do you care? And God, can you do anything about it? And we see when we look at the cross, the most clear picture that God cares. He sent his only son. And God is all powerful. Because in doing that, in dying on the cross, Jesus puts an end to the power of death. And in Jesus raising from the dead, he displays his power most perfectly that he can deal with sin. He cares, he's just, he's good, and he's all powerful. And we see that most clearly. And that is the question that has been asked throughout all of Scripture. And I would submit to us throughout every single one of our lives God, are you good? And God, can you do anything? God, are you weak? Are you a liar? Can I trust you? Are you worthy of worship? Right, Some of us go, no, man, you can't say those things in church. No, we can. We need to. We need to ask the honest questions of our heart. When we come before God's word, When we trust that he will shape us, he will reveal himself to us. And of course, the answer is a resounding no. The Lord's commitment throughout all of Scripture, and specifically we've seen throughout Exodus, has been that God is the one who saves He's the one who forgives. He's the one who restores. He is God. And Israel is his people. His possession. He's revealed that throughout this whole time. God is not weak. He's able to save. He's done that through the Exodus. He's done that by freeing his people from Egypt. And he's doing that even now. In the people's sin. God is even stepping in to save. And he's not a liar. He's faithful. So, before we move on, though, to this next part, this next section, I want to pause again and just acknowledge a very common question. Do we have a dilemma here? Like, did Moses basically kind of trick God? Or did Moses, like, is God... Like, again, there's this this, this felt tension right now that I don't want to hide from. It's like, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. He knows the plans of His people. He's He's He's, he's intentional. He's at work, but... Well, what did we just see here? It seems like Moses changed God's mind. I will say this. I, I think what, there is a tension I want to acknowledge that we feel we need to enter into. But God does not. Again, I don't think God's right now looking at us struggling through this and saying, What are they going to do? Oh, I don't know, man. I guess, I guess I was sort of caught in a bind there. How do, one thing I've, as I've read through this, as I've poured over this, one thing I see, right, God's expressed mission and plan throughout has been to make himself known. No one knew him, including Moses. Moses did not know God. Moses didn't know God's plans. Moses didn't know God's purposes. So one thing that we see here, and as we've seen throughout in this narrative, this epic story, as God is working throughout, is we get to see Moses actually, one of the few times, by the way, actually recognizing God. He now knows God. He knows God's plans. He knows God's purposes. God uses this interaction to reveal even to Moses and for Moses to be able to declare and proclaim, God, you made all these promises. God, you have plans. God, your your, your purpose all along has been to put yourself on display through your relationship with your people God, don't do this thing. Don't, don't smite your own people because I don't want you to be misunderstood. Your plan to be known throughout the nations it is, is from, now he insists, but I would say from Moses' perspective, is in question, is in jeopardy, is in danger. And right, we just, what we have there to deal with is verse 14, right, that God relented. Okay, cool, God, God okay. I just again I'll say this I am 100% confident secure and hopeful that God is not I was going to do this but now right, good one Moses shoot that's just not been a narrative throughout Exodus and I'm convinced it's not in this one verse either alright and also look at Moses Moses clearly cares again there have been times all throughout Exodus he didn't care He's selfish, he misunderstands, he is not the hero, he's not the one who brought them out of, out of Egypt, all this stuff, but now he cares. Look with me in um, what, we, what we read for the scripture reading, verse 15, and I'll just pick up actually down in verse 19 here. Look with me there, what we see Moses doing. As soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and grounded it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. The image that came to mind for me, because again, let's remember, just before this, Moses says, God, why does your anger burn so hot? And now, Moses' anger is hot. Right? he's fired up. It's kind of like, and this is all too real for me and my family, where like one parent again is hearing a little, you know, a parent interacting with another kid, and it sounds like the parents maybe getting a little out of hand. Like, oh wow, your voice is raised. I know that tone. I know what's going on there. Step in. Hey, is everything okay? Right. And hopefully, you're one. You want to honor each other and not be a divided front. But it's like, um, you know, how you doing right now? Are you good or? And then you're, for a moment, like, hey, everything's good, right? And then your kid now turns it on you, and it's like, oh, uh uh-oh, like, no way. (laughs) You know, and all of a sudden, then your other ear spout's like, yeah, right? See, not easier said than done. Like, that's a little bit of what you see here. Moses is like, God, why? What's the big deal? then he comes down, and he sees, he hears, he experiences the brokenness of this idolatry. It's ugly, and he's mad. Again, I think there's a beautiful picture and kind of funny too, if we're honest about it, that he makes them drink this false god. What do you have to do with stuff you drink? Yeah, at some point it comes out of you, right? There's your god. (laughs) Right? Worship, give your money to it. You know, bow down and pray. That's going to save you from all the other armies. That's going to rescue you. There's your god. Again, I think of us, we don't have little calves, but there's sometimes some of us do experience the things we put our hope in, our identity in, our relationship, a drink, something we eat, something we can control with turning a screen on or off, money that we can handle in our hands. Right? These are, this is what false gods do. And again, Moses in his righteous anger, now participating in God's righteous anger, helps reveal to the people what comes of putting their hope in all the wrong places. And then lastly, we see a picture here, and we're going to skip ahead to chapter 34, where God judges and forgives. So let's read in verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. So this is God proclaiming who he is. The Lord, the Lord A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Again, time out for a second. Um, Like, did God forget that's who he is and forget his name back in verse 14 earlier where I read that, like, oh yeah, you're right, Moses. Like, again, that's just not the picture. God knows this is who God is. And who he has always been. The Alpha and the Omega. is The beginning and the end. So as God now proclaims. That he's slow to anger. That he's gracious. That he's He's, steadful, he's steadfast and, and faithful. He, he's, that's always been who he is. And then in. Uh, am I in verse 7? Okay thank you. I need some A-type friends in my life. Every once in a while. And it's helpful. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And I'll quickly just address that right now, because we in our day, our tendency in our world of entitlement and just like cheap grace, and I, you know, it should always be easy and things like that, we hone in on how mean. He doesn't clear the guilty, and he visits the iniquity on the fathers, on the children, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But modern scholars, understanding, especially the context of that time, the the overwhelming, overshadowing message is that God forgives thousands. Like in comparison to a couple generations. And again, as we've seen there, the tendency of people outside of God's intervention is to just repeat cycles in our own lives and in our own families. As I read this in my own family, and I'm in some of this, you understand generational sin. Some of you guys know some of my own story. I talked about drinking and smoking weed earlier. And there's other stories of anger that I have declared and promised I would get under control. And tried so hard to do time and time again. And yet have seen come up against my greatest efforts. You see that. You see generational curses, generational sins. Yet, praise God, in my own life, I can say he's intervened. He's sanctifying growing, not done yet, but he's faithful. He restores, he redeems, he sets free, he renews. That's true here. But it's also so good that he doesn't just give a free pass. Oh, you're right. Again, that he's not Santa Claus. All right, if you've ever experienced pain The hands of someone else. If you've ever, if someone else in your family has, it's good news that God is a God who is just. Okay, that God cares enough to deal with it. Sometimes that doesn't happen now, even in this life. Perhaps I. More often than not, it does. Maybe not in the ways that we would expect, but God does always deal with sin. But as we see here, the fact that he deals with sin and saves actually go together. Okay, let's look at this quote from um, D.A. Carson, who helps us understand this. Exodus 32-34 through suggests that the Lord's commitment to His glory and Israel's good are not at odds with one another, but in fact fit naturally together. The Lord is for Israel precisely because he is for himself. The answer to this question, that the Lord is merciful and he will not let the guilty go unpunished, is not fully given in Exodus. And it's not only made known, and it is only made known as the Lord continues to make himself known throughout the scriptures, revealing ultimately in Jesus what was previously seen only in shadows. Again, that's from, from a one sermon, one little nugget, one little Bible study. It, it, we need to see, step back and see that God in His goodness, He can reveal His truth to us in a moment. And yet, as we press into that more and more, we step back and we see, wow, He's the same God from beginning to end. It's His story. He's the author. And He's the hero. And we see again, most clearly in Jesus... What's the point of Exodus? God revealing himself where he's been so tragically forgotten. Well, where is that most clearly done? In Jesus. Okay, wherever we are, it's one in the Jesus storybook of the Bible that says every story whispers his name. It's just true. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where we see God's justice and God's goodness come together so beautifully, so perfectly second Corinthians chapter 5 Therefore if anyone is in Christ that means you've put your trust in Jesus you've said perhaps simply God I've been going this way and I know it's a dead end road I'm driving for a cliff like me you're driving down from Mount Lemmon and like all my efforts and proclamations of faithfulness have failed I need you I believe in you I trust in you have provided I I, I entrust you. I I, I turn. What we did earlier, what Joel walked us through. Confession and assurance of grace. That's what it means to be found in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Is what we see in baptism. Dead to sin. Alive to new life through faith in Jesus. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then skip down to verse 21. Where he kind of picks up this, this thought. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's where, just like in Exodus, we wonder, what is God going to do, this apparent dilemma? How is God going to be just? How is God going to deal with sin? And how is he going to remember his plans and his promises to be good, to provide? Most clearly, we see it in Jesus. What we see, God does not let the guilty go unpunished. But what he does is he changes who the guilty is. Okay, the theological terms here, justification. To be justified through faith in Jesus. Fully guilty, and yet God has laid on him the guilt that you and I um, deserve to be judged on. The other terms with that is propitiation and expiation. Like they call like the shuns. You know, justification, propitiation, expiation. That God gives to Jesus what is not his own, but what you and I deserve. Wrath. Judgment on sin. Sins in thoughts. Just pause for a moment as we consider Right, We can think of sin out there as our thoughts. Every thought, every word, every action, every inaction, right? That they, 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 they is in a sense saying, that is a smear, a, a, a wiping, a, 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 a breaking of the beautiful image of God that he has created you and I to be. Sin, not God. No, God, I want it my way. God, you're not the deliverer. This calf I made is... What does God do? He judges. He deals with it. But by placing that on his son, Jesus. And then, as we've often talked about here, does God just, like, tolerate you? And, like, fine. Look, I already gave, I already put it all on Jesus. Now, just get out of my... Like, I'm watching TV. I'm busy. I'm doing something. Like, I gave you... I give you food to eat. Is that not enough? Right? Like, did I... I like... That's enough, just get out of it. No, what does he do? He gives his wrath to his son, Jesus. And then he raised Jesus from the dead. He clothes him now in light and white. Fully restored. That's what he now gives to you and me. He doesn't just excuse our sin, but he also now puts on us sonship. Daughters, children, delighted in, fully accepted Loved, restored. That's what we see here in this picture of God dealing with failure to remain faithful. So, I want to give us as we close a couple things, especially as we walk through such big concepts. I want to leave you with three questions to consider as we interact with God and His Word here. First, do you tend to make empty promises? Well intended but ultimately hollow, right? Without fuel. I have big plans to drive somewhere, but my gas tank is empty, right? Maybe it's to your spouse. Maybe it's to your roommates, to your friends. Maybe it's to yourself. Maybe ultimately it's to God. God, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm not going to do this again. That, you know, that which I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do are the things I don't want to do from Romans. Okay, hopefully you see here that recognizing that, confessing that is so freeing and so good. And then next, do you tend to trust in things that can never save or satisfy? Is your trust, your identity, your hope, your purpose in false gods that will never fail to fail. Things you can control. Things you can consume. Things you can actually dispose of. Right? Is that your tendency? And that's connected to the first one there. Because if you make empty promises, even there you're trusting in yourself to save and to satisfy. Instead, what does it look like to turn to God who has... Provided for you. Done what you could never do for yourself. And then with that, do you understand your salvation? That God is good and he's just. That as we respond to Jesus now, we look at the cross and we see God deals with sin. Not by just excusing guilt, but by changing who the guilty is. By putting the guilt on his son and then putting the accepted, restored love on you and me through faith in Jesus. So now let's pray, respond to Jesus who judges and saves. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and we thank you for your word. Lord, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it cuts us to the heart. I pray that we've been cut to the heart because we even talked about throughout this series that Exodus... Um, Both um, um, implicates and excuses. Lord, there is a place where we have hope. But first, before that, we recognize, Lord, that we are exposed. And so, um, Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit. um, Lord, the grass withers, but the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Lord, I pray that your enduring word through your Holy Spirit will shine a light on each of our hearts. And that you will lead us to respond. Confession, and faith, and assurance, and hope. In Jesus, in his name we pray, amen.